What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of Podmosh. Um, today's topic is all about real estate investing and how to get into it. Our, our guests today are Richard and Angel, who are real estate investors. We talk a lot about how to actually do it, um, a concept called wholesaling using real estate as a means of passive income and how to start investing with a lot of money or little to no extra money. And I will warn you, I was having a little bit of trouble with my third mic. It was cutting in and out. So the quality isn't as good and I'll be working on that in the future for for getting a better mic. But um, so yeah, so the quality isn't as good as far as one of the mics goes and you'll kind of hear that. But I I try to edit a lot of that out and hopefully, hopefully it is up to everybody's standards. I hope you guys have an awesome Christmas, um, awesome rest of the holiday season. Uh, I'll be posting like normal, but uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. How y'all? Good, good. How are you doing? Doing well. So, Angel. Richard. Richard. Um, real estate investing. This is kind of the main thing. So, before we, I, what I've been doing lately is, before I get to the gist of it all, I like to figure out who you guys are. So, Angel, how'd you get into investing? Where'd you come from? So on and so forth. Kind of give me like a quick chronological time frame on, on your life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, well, I'm, uh, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, um, and I currently live in Halton City. Um, lived in Fort Worth, Texas for 20 years. Moved over to Halton City. Been there the last 13 years. Um, I recently got into real estate investing about, I'm going to say about a little over a year, maybe 13 months, going on 14 months. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. Um, and I currently have a, a full-time job as well. I'm a uniform salesman and I sell facility service products. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of at the beginning of my, uh, real estate investing career. That's awesome. Yeah. Richard. Yeah. So I've been in Fort Worth my whole life as well. It's home for me, born, raised, and probably will die here. Uh, I've been in real estate investing for about seven years. January will be seven years. What did you do before real estate investing? Yeah, so that's the fun part. I was horrible at finding jobs. Horrible. So the uh, warehouse jobs, um, the best job I ever had was a locksmith at Tarrant County College. So real estate was 100% new to me. They didn't have, they didn't have any kind of knowledge whatsoever. Just dove in and we want to get into that a little bit later, we can. But uh, for the last seven years, I've been making my living off of real estate. Um, okay, so what is real estate investing? Whoever wants to answer that for me. Uh, to me, real estate investing is freedom. To me, that's what it. That's what it means to me. Um, it's freedom to uh, be your own man, you know, and, and not have to not have to go through the day to day grind of punching the time clock. Um, nah. that, that's kind of how that's what everybody wants to get to yeah and that's kind of the catch 22 of life today yeah so being fully financially free to do whatever you want right how does somebody get there how do I get there well I can tell you in my 13 month experience okay <laughs> let's, let's do I love stories number, number one thing that I would say is well let me see if this is number one does this make sense I know a mentor has is, is been great for me that's to me has been without a mentor. I don't know where I would be. I would be a guy that paid some bills off and got a little bit of cash and, um, and was just out there kind of shooting in the dark, watching YouTube videos versus getting a mentor, you know, Richard sitting here today with me. I thank him all the time because he's got me on the right path to 
that financial freedom and just freedom, like you know, like we were saying. Earlier. So how'd y'all meet though? Me and Richard we went to uh, high school together. Oh. Me and Richard went to high school together, and uh, I have him on my Facebook page, and I see he was always doing you know small clips and things like that of uh, how different houses he's bought and rehab projects and things like that. And it started with just a quick messenger uh, message, right, Richard? Just kind of random. I was paying some bills off, and I was like, "Hey, man, like, how, how'd you get into this?" And what was just, attractive to you about that? Though? Like, were you just seeing that he was kind of living a, a different lifestyle? Well, what attracted me so much is that he was living a different lifestyle, and he came from where I came from. Mm. So when I seen Richard doing it, I was like, "Hey, man!" Not, 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 not in a bad way, but I was just like, I felt if Richard can do it, I can do it. We come from the same place. We have the same opportunities. You know, he wasn't given a different opportunity than I was. Um, same education, you know, things like that. And I was like, he really gave me hope. And that's what attracted me to it a lot is I was like, man, you know, this guy, we're from the same place. So why did you need, like, what, if you don't mind me asking kind of the, uh, the state of your financial life at that time mm -hmm. before you reached out to him. Right. What, what was like, were you living paycheck to paycheck? Were you, nah. uh, sorry, no, uh, keep going. Uh, I just kind of jumped in there. Sorry. It's um, a conversation, man. It's so, by the way, the podcast here is less of an interview and more of a conversation. Okay. So right. that, that's kind of like one of the best. Kind Here, of here's dynamics. one thing. And, and my, my wife, she's probably going to hear this. And Richard knows this. If I cut you off, Caleb, just make sure you come back and tell me, hey, man, don't cut me off. I, bro, bro <laughs> I, got, I got a spine. So <laughs> I, 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 I wanted you guys to come here so I can hear y'all's story right. to figure out, like, how can I get in that? How can other people right. get in this kind of mindset? Um, <laughs> what was the question again? I kind of got lost there. Uh, your financial profile oh. at the time. Oh, okay. So at the time when I reached out to Richard, I had just um, – I would say it was about a year and a half into my uh, uh, to my sales career, um, and I was doing really well. I had just recently paid my house off, and money was flowing in a lot more than I expected when I got into that into that. Uh, I would say that department, you okay. know, being in, being a salesman, and I didn't want to just blow my money on random stuff because I was doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was trying to get my. Uh, I think my financial IQ was still kind of low. You know, because I, I got, I was getting money. Okay. Know, what is a low financial IQ? Explain what a low financial um, IQ is. Well, I would say a low financial IQ to me, okay. right? This is not That's in fair. the dictionary yeah. or anything. To me, low financial <laughs> IQ is you're going to get $10,000 and not know what to do with it. You're going to, you're going to go out and buy a jet ski. Um, you're going to go on a vacation, you know, and just kind of in three months, the 10,000 is gone. And I think that. To me, that's the low fine. That's a low okay. IQ, you know, financially. To me, Richard, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's a low financial IQ is having money and not knowing what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So there's different kind of problems. You can have a problem of you don't have money. Yeah, it's, it's a touchy mm -hmm. mic. So you can have a problem of where you don't have money. Oh, that's fine. And and you got to figure out how to get money. Yeah. But also, when you start coming across money, you start doing well in your job. You start getting promoted. You start running into cash. You have a savings and not know what to do with it uh, because by nature, we're, we will default to spending. Mm -hmm. Some of us are savers. Some of us are spending, but it's a lot easier to, to spend. So were you guys spenders or savers? I was both. I was a saver because of my wife and I was a spender because of my never having 
that amount of money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my wife always, she always made sure that we saved, you know, shout out to you, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think on mine, I'm the opposite. It's the opposite. I'm the saver in the family. My wife's yep, like, hey, yeah. where, where are we going to go? Yeah, you know? See, I'm, got, the, I'm the saver in my family money. too. <laughs> but we both kind of like, so my wife and I both kind of realized, I mean, we can get a lot further if we can save and we can invest in these different things. But that's been our issue. Like I want to get into this, but it's always been uh, capital. It's always been, right. where do I get this money? And I know you talked to me before about uh, tapping into some of these hard money lender mm-hmm. uh, scenarios and, yeah. and profiles. Uh, so one of your big foundation and what I've seen a lot in real estate investing is rich dad, poor dad. Mm-hmm. Explain how that really changed either one of y'all's mindset for this. Because I'm guessing the mentor, Richard, talked you into Rich Dad Poor Dad, Dad, am I right? Or was it something else? Well, I can't remember, Richard, if you did or didn't, but it's, I'm the same, like, I would say 90% of people that read that book, it changed my life. And I can't remember if you, if you had brought that book to my attention or if I had read it. And I think I read the book and and as soon as I finished with the book, I thought of Richard. He came to my mind, you know, as soon as I was done with that book. So I can't remember, you know, if Richard, if you asked me to read the book or if I read it on my own and that book really changed my life. You know, I, I've sent that book out. to. So I think I even sent yeah. it to you. I've sent it out probably 10 or 15 people, you know, and um, out of those 10 or 15 people, I've had like maybe one tell me, hey, man, that book changed my life. Yeah. You know? Uh, but yeah, that rich dad, poor dad, that's funny that you bring that book up. And, that's kind of foundational to a lot yeah. of this real estate investing. Yeah, it is. I remember reading that book um, while I was working full time at the college. So I'm 33 years old. I got into in, in real estate when I was working backwards, 25, about to be 26 years old. And before that, while I was at my other jobs, before I ever got into investing on the real estate side, I was investing in myself. So I was reading books, listening to podcasts, watching videos, and uh, I used to frustrate my wife, you know, uh, but I would tell her, I said, like, this is, I'm, I was there mentally before I was there outwardly. Right. So I was a real estate investor That's huge. Um, before I ever bought my first house, before I ever did my first deal, uh, my mindset, um, one of the, when I do take on people who I help run the business as a role of a mentor, even with Angel, and he'll probably remember me saying this. Is I said, you got to get acclimated to this world. You know, you got to learn the terminology. You've got to learn the verbiage. You got to know what well, you got to think like we think. You've got to start going to these classes, start watching these videos, start listening to these podcasts um, just to get acclimated to the world of real estate investing. So you can't just jump into something completely blind. So uh, I had enough knowledge back in my early 20s to know that. So before I ever made the job, I was preparing my mind. I was preparing my thoughts. I was watching Kind of go and Rich Dad Poor Dad was actually one of the first books that I read that really just kind of opened this door for me and realized that I have to be doing something different. You fall into one of these four categories, and I knew that at that time in my life I was only on the employee side, but my goal was to get on the business side and the investor side, and uh, that takes preparation, mm-hmm. that takes time, that takes knowledge, that takes growing, and so. Yeah, I still read that book to this day. I try to read it about once a year just to kind of keep my mind fresh on uh-huh. some of the thoughts and the philosophies behind it. But it is absolutely one of the foundational books to read. If anything, just open to your mind to this realm of possibilities that exists outside of normal individuals' day-to-day life. Okay. Real quick, um, you know, our, our definition of success is 
pretty broad, right? A lot of people have different definitions of success and why maybe you guys are the authority right now in this area for real estate investing. Um, like, why should somebody listen to you about real estate investing? Do you have a positive cash flow? Like, how much, if you don't mind me asking, how much are you actually making right, in right. this? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and again, you don't have to answer that no, directly yeah, yeah. if you don't want to. I'll, I'll tell you this um, I never asked to mentor anybody. So what I, when I got into real estate investing, it just started off as something with myself. This is something that I wanted to do. I was working at a full-time job. I knew my life's calling wasn't to be a locksmith at the college. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would go and do what I needed to do. But every day as I kept reading, as I kept growing, it wasn't about the money. It was that I knew that I was capable of more. Mm. I'm tired of these warehouses. I'm tired of being this locksmith. I'm tired of this nine to five. It isn't anywhere. So I was growing and growing and being inspired all around. And then my environment wasn't reflecting who I was or where I wanted to be. And where did you want to be? Like fully independent? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's fully independent. It's time freedom. It's financial freedom. Um, I, when I tell you it's not about the money, like, so it wasn't a, a like, so if I was making, I think at the job about $3,000 a month, my definition at that time of success was to be able to get into real estate and generate $3,000 a month. Mm. You know, because it wasn't about the money. It was the fact that I was able to produce this to provide some kind of value that equaled what I was making at my job. Mm. So when I got into real estate investing, I started off as a real estate agent because I thought that was a natural progression. Yeah, that's that's what I did. I was like, I'll get my real estate (laughs) license and then in five years, I'll save enough money and I'll end up reinvesting in real estate. Well, when I got my real estate license, we're required to have uh, education. So SAE, your first two years, and I took a real estate investing course within a few months of getting my license, blew my mind, blew my mind. It bridged the gap between me having to wait five to 10 years to have the cash in my pocket to I can do this right now. So I took the class probably about five months after I got my license. I did my first real estate investment deal three months after that because it bridged that gap of possibility. So as I began to do, I did one deal and I was excited. I made $2,000, which there was nothing to be excited about that, but it was a lot to me because Mm -hmm. I knew if I do one deal, I can do five deals, I can do 10 deals. If I did 2,000, I can make 10,000, I can make 20,000, I can make 100,000. So it just bridged that gap between making what I knew in my mind, what I heard in the educational class and made it very tangible. So I I kept doing this, so Mm -hmm. I left the job at Tarrant County College, started doing real estate full time as an agent and also learning the investment side. Within about two years, I quit. I still carry my real estate license, but I stopped representing clients on the buying and selling side and just focused on the investments. And as I started doing the investments, I would post on my Facebook page, um, hey, here's my rehab project. Here's my rental project. Here's my owner finance project. Here's a before. Here's a after. And people started realizing what I was doing. Are mm. people in my sphere, in my network? Yeah. So as I began to do that, people began reaching out and said, hey, Richard, you know, real estate investing is something I've always been interested in now with HGTV, now yeah. with all these channels. Yeah. Like, it's the hottest thing out there, yeah. you know? So like people flat. began to reach out to me. So I never really formally wanted to be a mentor. But as people asked me, um, I felt like one of the ways of giving back is to help others. You know, so I met a lot of people who are in real estate on the investment side who are already second, third generation. I think I came from a warehouse. Yeah. You know, there is no prior generation. So I'm like a forefront in my family. So nobody really took you under their wing. Right. Per se. Per se. Yeah. It was a lot of trial and errors. Uh, There were mentors in the form of books, in the form of videos, in the form of podcasts. 
Um, I did meet people along the way, but no, nobody formally. But I wanted to be that for somebody else. So when people would reach out, I'm like, yeah, I can help you. Let me give you some pointers. And I had to work that out because, you know, people, a lot of people see the excitement. They don't understand the work uh, that's involved in it. So, that's, yeah. so, yeah. So here we are seven years later. I make my living off of real estate investing. Um, you asked me where I was. I make oh, well over six figures a year. I own 21 houses right now, which to me is not a lot. A lot. Of, some people may hear this and think it's a lot, but for somebody coming from hardly anywhere in a span of about five years, six years, that's, starting that's to awesome. accumulate, and I would have more, but I sold some over the years. Well, here, here's my this is the reason why I initially asked that question. It's a very pointed, very black and white yeah. question. How much do any of you make? Yeah. Um, it, it was less about. Uh, want to know the exact figure and more about knowing people out there will say this exact bad gum thing yeah. and aren't successful. Sure. So it's like people want to be in this field and fields across the board, right. whether it's real estate or medicine or whatever. Um, they try and get this following. They try and get that money based on them thinking that they're the authority, but their strategies don't work out. Mm -hmm. So your strategy works out because yes. you have this much cash flow. Right, right. So that kind of says, hey, I could get there too in my financial freedom, in my independence um, by making you know, six figures or just matching my current income sure. by working far less. Yep. Or I guess, okay, far less, that's relative. Um, but how, how many hours a week did it take you to get to this point? Yeah, so... Um in the beginning, like success has evolved for me over the yeah. years. In the beginning, when I made $2,000, I was a success. Yeah. yeah, It was a huge success and I was proud of it. And I share that story. You know, I've, I've sold a property and made $150,000. I'm, I'm just as excited about the $2,000 deal that I did in the beginning as I am with the $150,000 yeah. deal. So um, it really depends on where you're at. So today, when we were talking about success, how long did it take? I feel like over the years I was always successful because I was just constantly achieving. Mm -hmm. I did one deal, you know, and I made two grand. I did a deal. I did another deal. The next deal was ten grand. That was a success. I acquired my first rehab project. That was a success. I did my first rental. That was a success. So uh, along the way, um, I, it's, I did have goals. I obviously I wrote down my goals throughout the year what I wanted to achieve. But it was more about the accomplishment and more about the growth more than it was just kind of a tangible number. Um, mm -hmm. In the beginning, I worked way harder than I did today. So um, part of real estate investing, so you can't rehab a house, you can't have a rental, you can't do an owner finance um, without having a good deal to begin with. Real estate is very amazing in the fact that, so if you wanted to buy an iPhone right now, you'd have to go buy at market value at $1,200. You know, if you wanted to go buy any other kind of product, you're pretty much paying retail. Real estate is very unique in the fact is that you have an opportunity to provide, to buy it at a discount. If, if on your block, all your houses are $150,000, you find somebody in a, in a, you find a house in need of disrepair, or you find somebody about to go to foreclosure, you have an opportunity to buy that house at 75000 You can buy a house at, with real estate with built-in equity. Okay, so in the beginning... I was on the hunt to find these houses. So where I am today, so people see real estate success and they want to get there, uh, but they don't really understand what goes behind the amount of work. So I tell Angel this and I tell my other mentors this. When I first began, I would drive around and find distressed properties, houses that looked like they were needing repairs. The house was messed up. The windows were broken. 
you know, yeah. the roof shingles were hanging off. The yard was as tall as my waist, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, hey, that's a house that needs some work. Maybe they would be open to selling. But there were times that I would did do that eight to 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, so. And your strategy is quite a bit different now. Right, right. So I did that in the beginning because there was no consistency in my business. So I had to get, I had to do what it took to get to a place of consistency. And so after a few years, after I started generating deals, after, um, after people started knowing who I am and started bringing deals to me, hey, Richard, I know some, so-and-so, they're selling a house. Or there's another concept called wholesaling and wholesalers mm-hmm. will, hey, Richard, we have this house. It's a different story today. So back then, easily, excuse you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Easily. Oh, I forgot that was coffee. Y'all want coffee? I can go grab it real quick. Uh, yeah, you know? I'll use the water when you get time, but no rush. Yeah. So, What's here in a second, if you want. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll finish this talk. Yeah, okay. So in the beginning, I could work 60, 70 hours a week just trying to find these deals. Okay. Now, after I got to a level of consistency, so where I am today, Really, I just kind of manage. I still got deals that just come to me, so I don't need to work as hard to find them. Mm-hmm. I just kind of manage my projects, which probably take realistically 20 to 25 hours a week. So you're right now you're working about 20 to 25 hours a week? Yes. That's amazing. But it took how many hours to get there? Yeah. In the beginning, That's what, in the 60, beginning. 70? 60 to so 70 hours. Probably even more. Yeah. I didn't really keep count, but when you're working 10 to 12 hours a day, like that adds up mm, a lot. Yeah. And everybody sees that, you know, on the flip or flop shows and yeah. everybody wants that. But Rich is sitting here telling you he's working 60, 70, maybe 75 or 80. Who even knows uh-huh. to get to the 25? Everybody sees the 25, but they don't see the 70 or 80. You know, Richard sacrificed a lot to get there. And that's that's kind of funny. That's how a lot of people are. A lot of people see that success. They want the overnight success. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And it's kind of funny, even as I, in, you know, I'm only like a month into this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my initial inclination is like, I want millions of followers immediately. That's yeah. not going to happen. Nope. It's going to take a long time right. for me to actually grow this podcast, mm-hmm. this show, my brand, those type of things. Um, and you look at Joe Rogan, you know, he's, yeah. he's the number one, right? right? He's Right now, he's kind of the main guy. Uh, he's what, 12 or 13 years in before he made that yeah. initial $100 million Spotify deal. Yeah. So if I do this for the next 10 yep. years, okay. I mean, it's, it's fun for me. I'm networking. Yeah. I'm networking with you guys. I'm right. learning a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's definitely not like I'm not going to make it my main source of income right now. It's just not going to happen. Right, right. I want to grow. I'm going to work my butt off, but right. it's not just not going to happen overnight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay. So back to how y'all met. You reached out to him, Angel. Mm-hmm. Angel reached out to Richard. Um, kind of walk me through that the next step. What happened? What what were y'all's thoughts? So well, so the next thing was, I think Richard was trying to fill me out at that point. Like, all right, man, you want to keep messaging me? And because you, you remember, I messaging the guy. I don't know where he was at. Uh-huh. He might have not been at 80 hours at that point, but he might have been about 50, 55. So he really didn't have a lot of time for Angel, you know, which I get it. You know? And so when you reached out to him, how many years were you into the field oh, so far? It's four years, maybe. About four yeah. years. Three, okay. four oh, years. yeah. That's one thing that I've always, um, I don't give myself a lot of credit, but I will give myself credit as far as um, networking with the right people. Uh, That's one thing that I I give myself credit on. I pride myself on that is I can kind of, from meeting someone in five minutes, I can tell if I'm going to have another conversation with them or not. So with Richard, it started and I think it just turned out... uh, Richard just said, hey, man, let's go to lunch. I think that's that was the next step, right? 
after we were talking, we had a few conversations on Messenger. Um, and, you know, Richard, I want to get into it. Like, he probably had 50 people already come to him about that. Oh, really? Yeah, Richard is a man. You know, he's <laughs> Richard is already doing it. He's you know, guy. yeah, he's the guy. <laughs> Richard, everybody knows Richard's the guy, man. <laughs> and so, you know, after we had lunch, the our next, our next uh, meeting was, hey, man, you want to come check out one of my properties? So I think Richard was still trying to film me out. Am I going to give him any more of my time or not? You know, because it's mm. just lunch. So what are you looking at, Richard, when you see yeah. when you're filling uh, people like students out? Yeah, I'd like to hear this. I don't think I've ever heard yeah, it. You know? So that's evolved over, well, uh, over the years as well. In the beginning, right. I just pretty much took on anybody and everybody that wanted to kind of learn the business and spend time with them and realized that a lot of people don't really want to put in the work. You know, so I would invest a lot of time and people did absolutely nothing. Mm. Absolutely nothing. And so as I got busier, as uh, the, the demands of my business became greater and the responsibilities, then I had to be very selective. So when people would call or message mm-hmm. me, most of the time they just message me uh, on Facebook. And uh, I do. I fill them out. He said it exactly. I'll, I'll talk to them. I'll have a conversation. I don't ever want to shun people. I don't because I'm not that. This is not how I'm wired. I definitely want to give everybody a chance and an opportunity. But there are some things. I'm not really looking for resources. That's not, I'm looking for their mindset. I'm looking at their mindset, their thought life, their thought patterns. How do they think? Do they have a, a mindset of abundance? Do they, are they driven? Do they have, does, these, does this person look like they can get up on their own? Because I'm not a babysitter, I'm a mentor, you know? <laughs> and so can they get up every day on their yeah. own and do what they need to do? And, and, and uh, sometimes it requires a few different conversations, a few different meetings. So, um, and Angel probably don't remember this, but I remember when he messaged me on Messenger, he goes, dude, how many properties you have? One of the first <laughs> things that he asked. <laughs> That's so I yeah, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't answer that right away. But once I got to kind know like my better, question, how much money? You know, that, yeah. was kind of, that was kind of me uh, filling out Richard as well. Because, you know, earlier you asked, you're like, hey, well, how are the viewers going to know that basically you're, you're, ser- you're legit? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of me filling out Richard as well. Hey, man, how many properties do you have? And that's where I tell you, I take credit in myself and networking with the right people. That was me kind of putting Richard to the test, just like he was putting me to the test. I think that's why we work well with each other, because we both, I think we're always, um, ah, what is the word? What am I trying to say? Our guards are always up. We just don't, like Richard just doesn't mentor anybody. And I don't just network with anybody because I don't have time, you know, because I have two jobs right now, you know, and I have a family. Um, I have yeah, a lot. 12 kids, right? <laughs> 11. Um, <laughs> lucky number 11, man. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so I'm the same way. I don't have a lot of time, you know, and, and just every conversation that I have, I want it to bring some value to me. Yeah. You know, so. It, it, Dude, I'm so sick of like shallow conversations. Yes. You know? Yeah, I get What's it. What's the point? Yeah. Like you're just like, oh, how you doing? Good. All right. How about you? Cool. Yeah. Man, those cowboys, <laughs> they still suck. Yeah. I'm sorry. And one of the other things that we discussed with Angel will probably tell you this. When I would talk to him, we would talk more than about real estate. I would ask him what's driving you, what's motivating you. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people, I tell people to this day. Absolutely, there's money to be made. But if that's your driving force, I'm not your guy. Mm-hmm. I'm really not. Because to be successful in any walk of life, whether it's real estate, you've got to be driven by something more than money. Because there are easier ways to make money than grinding it out, you know, in the beginning, X amount of hours per week. If you just want to find a better paying job, you know, if yeah. you're just attracted by the limelight of money, 
uh, I'm not sure because I would talk to Angel about purpose. I would talk to him about mm-hmm. dude, what, what is it, what is it you're trying to do? What is it that you're trying to achieve? What's motivating? What's yeah. your drive? What's your passion? You know, I said because that's going to determine you know whether you're going to succeed or not. Not mm-hmm. because you want to hit a dollar amount. Um, it's going to come a time where it's not worth getting that. Hey, I want to make twenty grand this month. And you realize the work, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put that much work to make 20. But if you have <laughs> something else driving you, a driving force, well, that it's not really about the money, the yeah. money is going to come and the money is going to follow um, whatever it is that you're doing. And I think that speaks to any area of life. But when you ask me, what, what am I, how am I filtering? That's so now today, I, that's what I look at when people, I try to figure out where they're at and people are on all different walks of life and it's okay if they're not you know, there, yeah. but I just find out that people who succeed, they are really, there's something driving them, um, internally and, um, more than just kind of the money. Aspect. Well, can mm-hmm. I, can I put myself on the, sure. on the ringer here? Let's do yeah. it. Hang on, I'm going to bring some stuff. Uh, coffee, coffee, water. just water. water. Do you want water too? Um, yeah, I'll take one. Okay. Yeah, I'll take one, please. Two waters. I'm a real big Joe Rogan fan as well. I've kind of shifted to, um, like Richard said, um, what did you say earlier, Richard, where you're working on yourself or you're developing yourself? Is that what you said earlier? I can't remember what you said. Just personal growth. Yeah, just personal growth. Richard's taught me that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, he really has. And now I find myself where I got to the point where I love music. Don't get me wrong. I love music. But I would hear so much music over and over and over that at some point I was like, man, what else is out there? You know, I want to hear something different. So I started listening to books, you know, the rich mm. dad, poor dad that Richard um, sent over to me. And, and this whole time, not even realizing Richard is developing me, developing this mindset. Like yeah. Richard was saying earlier, it's a mindset. It's not, there's no dollar amount on it. Yeah. When your mindset shifts, man, you start with your conversations, what did you say earlier? Conversations you didn't like to have? The shallow. Shallow conversations. Point? <laughs> now you're looking for more of like a, uh, everyone doesn't have to be like this, every conversation, but man, them deeper conversations where you walk away and you're like, man, like I never thought about it like yeah. that. And that's and why you learn something. I started this podcast. Yes. And you learn something and you're like, oh man, I never thought about that. Yeah. You know, and then your whole mindset just starts to shift. Just everything like Richard was talking about being a warehouse worker in the mm-hmm. left column versus the right hand column and being an investor, you know, um, everything just switches for you. And I, I can't explain it. Yeah. And I don't really think there's a right or wrong way to explain it. You know, it's, it's a mindset. It just and shifts. And when, yeah. when it shifts, you know, yeah. you, no one can tell you, you know, it shifts because just small things, you know, like on TV, um, just for instance, me and Richard were talking about four wheelers. You know, hey, man, I had extra money and my whole mindset back um, when my what like, you know, going back to what we we're talking about earlier, mm-hmm. when my IQ was low, my financial IQ was low. OK, I got in this new position. I started making money and how I would view everything was, OK, well, that's only two hundred dollars a month. I can afford that. All right. That's fine. I'll buy that. And then I'll go buy something else and I'll put it on the credit card. That's only $60 a month. And by the time I knew it, I was just sinking myself so much further into the rat race that I didn't, I was just like, at some point I was like, I got to get out of this. Yeah. And that's when everything started shifting. And I talked to Richard and Richard's like, Angel, you got to get out of debt, man. Debt is your enemy. Guard it like want, a king. I want to get in those weeds. I want to yes. get in some of those like, like yes. practical solutions. But I am curious. Like, I want you to be very real with me, both yeah. of you guys. Yeah. Sure. So my mindset. We will is, be. Oh, I know. <laughs> Come on, bring it. Um, 
So my mindset, re- reason why I'm so interested in real estate is, is not necessarily to make the money. The, the money is important. You know, we all have to make that money. We all got to provide for our family. For sure. Um, but I want to get to the point where I don't have to worry about money. I can start in investing in the things I actually want to do. Like for instance, uh, I'm, I think this coming Wednesday, uh, I'm publishing a podcast with a guy. His name is Russ. <clears throat> he is a career cop, retired uh, in California, and he is now an aviation professor and president of Liga International, which is a nonprofit organization that flies medical supplies to Mexico. It's like oh, the, right. this area in Mexico is where uh, uh, what's the what's the guy's name? The main cartel guy. Oh, Chapo. Chapo. It was basically his hometown. Oh, Sinaloa. It's Sinaloa. It's around that area. I don't okay. know exactly where, but he uh, he talked about that a lot. How the cartel right. pretty much uh, runs the area. They they leave him alone because the cartel wants those guys to come. It's like Iraq. He he, he labeled it Iraq, Syria, one other one, and then this place in Mexico. Um, and. They've actually been able to create their own clinics. They've been able to do whatever they need to do. And they fly – like he's a pilot. So he and these other pilots will fly these people down there. So like those type of things. Like what if I was so financially independent where I could do that? I could create an entire company or nonprofit organization yeah. to do stuff like that, to do good where like I don't have to – I don't need to be – you know, have, have my name on the company. I just – I want to do that. Like I want to yeah. go buy somebody a house if I want to or if someone needs a car. Let me just go buy them a car. And, and have the financial independence for that very thing. You see, you don't understand. You, you The mindset is kicking in, man. You you got the mindset. It's, well, I've always it's, had it's that. It's there. It's that, but yeah, my it's frustration there. is that like I'm so limited. I'm no, so you're, limited. You're limiting yourself. Exactly. I'm limiting myself. I'm limiting myself right now. You know, Richard knows this, but I have a lot. It's I, One thing, you know, I, I don't like excuses. And when I give them out to Richard, I tell Richard that was an excuse, right? Mm-hmm. That was an excuse. I, you know, it's just it's normal, man. It's it's an emotion we all have. It's it's an excuse. You know what I mean? I gave one, um, but yeah, you're lim- you're only limited because that's your you're you're limiting yourself. You know, me if if I were to put in another, Richard always tells me, man, put in you know a couple of hours a day, a couple of extra, a couple of extra, I would be way more um, advanced in my investing career than I am now. You know, and I get that. Um, and, but it's, it's a mindset and it's holding myself accountable, you know? So you're really not limited. You're just limiting yourself. And, and that's kind of what I've like recently more realized. And it's kind of funny because the reason why I, I've, I've kind of, one of the reasons why I quit the, the previous job I was at, um, my wife took over running kind of our finances. Like, well, I, I run it, but she, uh, she works now and is carrying our load. And so now I'm a stay at home dad. Right. And that's why I've been able to start this podcast and do some and start like, okay, if I can have, you know, this, this, and this, I might be able to actually finally start getting into my, the financial freedom that we want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm at that point. Walk me through what you walked him through, what you're learning. Step one, practically, I'm at the point where kind of like, I would like to get into something like this. Um, I don't have capital, and that's kind of what you're looking at. You're wanting minds. Is this the mindset that you're looking for, or is it not? Yeah. So somebody. So again, real estate is unique in the fact that you can get started with very limited money out of pocket. There's a concept in real estate called wholesaling. Mm-hmm. Well, um, basically, so you see on TV somebody fixing up the the beautiful house. They're buying it for three hundred thousand. They're putting a hundred thousand in it, and they're selling it for six hundred thousand. So that's there. You'll need some money. You'll need some resources. You'll need some connections to get going. That's very intimidating. 
It's um, so somebody who's just getting started probably don't recommend them beginning there. If they're on their last dollar, if they're living paycheck to paycheck, um, you probably wouldn't be able to get a rental as well uh, to get started when you don't have any kind of money or resources. Only because if you're going to use a rental, um, your banks are going to look at you and they're going to want to see your financials to see how the, how it looks and whether you're trustworthy or not. Because you have to, to be money. you have to be in your primary home for like what two or three years before a lender will or a, no, no no no. There's actually ways around that, and that's one of the things that. Um, a lot of people don't know is that there is a lot of money available, but it's available to people who know how to, how to work it and who know what they're doing. This is where, going back to what I told you earlier, get yourself a mentor and do your homework on him and he'll fast track you. Yeah, he'll Angel, fast track you through all that. Angel's first two houses over the last year were free and he's holding them long term. So that doesn't he, even sound right. It doesn't even sound they're right. Beyond, Richard, no, so no, no, no. Okay, they're not can, free. We don't even have a name for it. We're talking okay, about it. This is the practical thing we I want to get into. We okay. don't even know what it's called because it's it's a free deal on top of getting, getting like, paid. Getting paid. So we can kind of, well, let's start off with the concept of wholesaling because a lot of your people are going to begin there. Okay. So let, yeah, let me tell yeah, you what whole, wholesaling that. is. Basically, let's just make it very practical. Let's say on your block. Um, there's a you know that your house on your block is worth two hundred thousand. Somebody on the next street sold their house for one ninety five. Somebody on your street sold for two hundred. You see a house for sale right now for one ninety seven. You have a general ballpark that the houses in your neighborhood um, are about one ninety seven to two hundred grand. Well, your neighbor next door comes up to you and says, you know, listen, Angel, um, my wife and I had an emergency. We're going to leave town. Um, we've got to sell our house right away. Would you buy our house? We'll sell it to you for $110,000. So you know the houses are worth 200000 The rehabber would buy it for one hundred and ten. you know, put the thirty grand in work into it and sell it for the two hundred. dollars Well, a wholesaler is kind of a middleman. The wholesaler says, yeah, Mr. Neighbor, I'll buy that house. So he signs a contract for $110,000 to buy it, right? So he has a contract with his name on it. That says I'm buying Mr. Neighbor's house for $110,000, knowing fully, fully well that that house is worth 200. Then he comes find Richard, and says, "Hey, Richard, I have this house in my neighborhood. It's worth 200,000. I'll sell it to you for 120,000." I go look at it. Yep, this is a great house. You're absolutely right. It's worth 200,000. I will buy it from you for 120 grand. So what happens is he actually it's called wholesaling. He assigns the contract over to me. I bring the $120,000 to closing. The title company pays the seller the $110,000, and he pays the middle guy the difference, the ten grand. Did I did I explain that kind of well? Yeah, yeah. And I, I know, like I've I've looked into the wholesaling. There's actually a guy I was taking care of, a person, a patient I was taking care of, and he, he wanted me to come work for him as a wholesaler uh, in the ER, and it like it never worked out, but. Um, a lot of real estate agents and people in the real estate industry think that wholesaling is more an ethical dilemma. Have you run into that at all? Yeah, you hear people talk like that all the time, but it's mostly in the traditional side. There's a huge value and service that we definitely provide. So, so, so why is it an ethical dilemma? Like, what's the argument for people saying say that? that it's an, because they do say that you're taking advantage of a seller, that they're not being represented, that they're that if you're buying their house below market value, that somehow that it's unfair. Um, I can tell you this. I don't think in seven years that I've been doing this business, 
that I bought in a house that was fully rehabbed, beautiful for 60 cents on the dollar. Every house that I've ever bought in that I bought at 40 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar, needed a ton of work. The roof, foundation, electrical, plumbing, complete interior cosmetics. And somehow me buying that property 50 cents on the dollar is unethical. I don't think so. How many mm-hmm. people are going to be able to take on that project? How many people have the skill sets to take on that project or the money or the resources or the capital? On top of that, I remember about four years ago, we've got a call. If you know anything about if you know anything about bank foreclosures, they happen the first Tuesday of every month, like clockwork. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if it's raining, if it's snowing, doesn't matter if it's ten degrees outside, you're if you are foreclosed on, it's gonna be done at the courthouse steps the first Tuesday of every month. Well, we get a call December twenty third, twenty fourth, somewhere around there, right before Christmas. Hey Richard, I got a house, my bank is foreclosing. The first Tuesday of January. Mm. So we got seven or eight days to get this deal closed. What are you going to do? List it with a real estate agent and have an inspection period, have a due diligence period, have financing contingencies, um, having everybody have to check off, or are you going to call a real estate investor? So we were able to buy this house within seven days, allow the homeowner for that two to three weeks afterwards, after she collected the money to get her stuff and to move out. And she was also able to walk away with cash. So most and of the, still be able to purchase another property. Still, yeah, yeah. We actually helped That's her. We, we actually helped her with the moving truck. We helped her with. Uh, so how much did she walk away with? It's been about four years, to be honest. I can't remember. I, I would imagine somewhere in around fifteen to twenty thousand is what rings about. And she put a down payment on the house. No, she actually rented. Oh. She actually rented temporarily, but other instances were able to help them get into another house. But that helps them, Richard, right? Because your credit score drops if you have a foreclosure on your on your yes. on your name, right? Yes. So, so if it actually went through foreclosure, then it yes. would have been And Richard came in eight days before and actually saved them, saved that family, you know, and got them some money versus walking away with nothing. And yeah. Zero, and, and it's more common. Huh. And it's more common um, than you think. And with everything going on now, there is a there's probably going to be a huge market for foreclosure proper, properties in the future with people losing their jobs and possibly yeah, losing the beginning their, of the year, right? Right. Comes beginning that, of the uh, year. That loan program, whatever. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So um, the real estate agents who are saying that are not in a position to be able to buy those houses and bail those people out. We are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the real estate agents that are saying that or the people who think that are not the ones putting their money in and, and forking over. So right now I'm working in a, on a house in Lake Granbury. It's a $200,000 remodel. $200,000 remodel. Just the, house, <laughs> the house was about a, almost like a burn, a burnout. Huh. So somebody who comes in and says, well, Richard, you know, you bought this house. It's really cheap. You didn't do the, the, the you were unethical in it. You know, I would ask them, are they going to fork over the $200,000 to Real get quick, this house? When you say burnout, what do you mean? Like the house caught on fire. Oh, like legitimately. Okay. Like legitimately. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, yes. But so the house is worth, let me just use rough numbers. The house is worth about 600000 after we fix it. We bought it for 225 So somebody can look at it and say, well, Richard, that's unethical, right? But the house also needs $200,000 worth of work. And who's going to fork that over? And, the and person, you put in the time. In. Put in the time, the yeah. work, the, the permits, dealing with the contractors that are involved. Um, we need, we're we're going to get paid for our time and our effort and everything that we put into that. So that's kind of yeah. the argument is that uh, on their side, why they would say it would be unethical. Okay. And did you start out with wholesaling like that? I did. Okay. Wholesaling. So now, now you're on the other side. Yeah. So in the beginning, I didn't have hardly any money. I probably had, you know, $2,000, $3,000 in savings. So I started wholesaling. My first deal was $2,000. My second deal was $10,000. 
My third deal was like $17,000 wholesale fee. So there is money to be made. So when I tell people, you know, you can get started, you know, without having to buy that, because people automatically assume real estate investing, you have to buy a house, you have to fix it. And that's why people have that mindset. You got to have money. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. will need money for marketing. I can tell you. So uh, what I did is uh, to find my first deal that made $2,000, I was watching a YouTube program. And the whole and the guy who was teaching says, "Yeah, buy a hundred signs and say we buy houses and put your phone number on it and put it on the street." Mm-hmm. What did I do? I stopped the video, bought a hundred signs, uh, wrote them all out. We buy houses, put my number on there, and lo and behold, I got a call. So, um, so you th- th- those hundred signs cost me about one hundred and fifty dollars. Now, so we need money for marketing. Yes, hmm. is it a lot of money? I wouldn't say. Relatively speaking, no. You don't need ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars. Uh, if you can't, if you don't have the money to even buy marketing material, there's other forms of marketing. You can go door knocking. You Which can go knock on somebody's just door. To my door uh, this week. Yeah, two guys came around. He goes, "Hey, you want to? Can I buy your house?" Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was yes. like, "Nah, man." <laughs> and so it's either going to cost you time or it's going to cost you money. And when you don't have money, you're going to have to fork over a lot of time, which is why in the beginning I was doing a lot of driving because I would mail a letter at fifty cents. You know, versus What's a letter. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, just like the guy came and knocked on your door, I yeah. would drive by, see houses, and I would say, I would mail a letter saying, "Hey, Mister Homeowner, um, I'm a local investor in the area looking to buy houses. By any chance, if you're interested in selling, please give me a call." And I would pay fifty cents and mail the letter, and lo and behold, guess what? I would get calls. Yeah. And some of them worked out. Some of them did not work out. Um, I did have my real estate license at the time, so. There were moments whenever they didn't work out on the investment side, I would actually take the client on on the traditional side and mm-hmm. utilize my real estate license. Interesting. So, Angel, talk to me about how you've kind of gotten started in all this because um, you're kind of in that beginning stage. Am I right? Yeah. You've still, been I, would, in, I would say so. I so how many years so. you been in this now? Um, um, about 13 months. Oh, wow. Okay. About 13 months. Yeah. yeah. So it's been about 13 months. And um, so how I got started in it was – this is where, again, I tell you, I, I uh, got me a, a mentor. Richard actually helped me out. So our first deal, Richard, was that was the one um, by Lockheed, right? Where the planes kept flying over us. That was the first deal that me and Richard had ever partnered up on. So how'd you find the, that deal? Well, Richard actually found that deal. Okay. So Richard found the deal. Richard brought me in on the deal. I funded the, um, I put up the funds to buy the property. And How much was that? It was fifty five, right? It was fifty five thousand, and that day, um, you know, we was took it outright, out, like fifty five outright. No, it was like fifty. Was it was, maybe a thousand? In maybe a thousand okay. in closing costs. It wasn't very much, but um, that was our first deal that we ever did together. We got started in that one. So Richard actually brought that one to me and kind of got the got the uh, the wheel started greasing that wheel, as uh-huh. he's as Richard in Richard's words. Started greasing the wheel, you know. We got that first house. So, how'd you find that house? Like, what what was attractive to you guys about this yeah, house? Yeah, I actually found that house yeah. uh, from a wholesaler. The wholesaler sent me an okay. email saying, "Hey, Richard, I have this house, and I think we bought it for forty five thousand, Angel." Was it? Yeah, it was because uh, we bought the house for forty five thousand dollars, and uh, Angel was in a position that says, "Hey, man, I want to learn this. I also have some money I can set to the side if you want to buy it, and we'll just partner up on it." And so, I took him up on that. I bought it. That way, he's more invested in it his money's at stake he can put his eyes on the pro on the project and it was quite run down am i right oh yeah yeah it was it was well check this out so day one we start cleaning it up um <laughs> it so we awesome. have people over there junk people removing junk 
you know, from the property because it had a lot of junk inside the property. Somebody drives up and says, hey, I want to buy that property cash. Were there, what, 15, was it, was it, am I exaggerating, 15 minutes or was it like an hour or so? It was in a few hours. It was not very long we were there. Yeah, we within a few hours, um, somebody, and they're like, we'll pay you. So we bought it for 45. They're like, we'll buy it for 65,000 cash. You can just leave it like this. <laughs> you know, so they don't all work out. And whenever that happened, I said, you know what, Angel? I need to lose you. I need to lose you on some more deals. I told him, Lady Luck. She's Lady Luck. She comes to those That's who take crazy, action. Man. She comes yeah. to those so who take action. We made it 20. Absolutely. So we jumped on the deal. We jumped on it. I think we had a little bit of expenses because we had paid for a dumpster. a dumpster truck. We had paid yeah. for some labor to remove it. Yeah. But everything was minuscule. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you this, I've never had that happen. So uh, <laughs> before or since. Before, before or since. So I mean, that was kind of a sign that says, hey, you know what? Maybe this guy's got something going. You that know? is funny. So yeah, that was our first one that we had did together. Okay. Um, after that, so now you have roughly, we'll say 15 in profit. Mm-hmm. What'd you do with that 15? Um, well, I just, I, I held on to it. Yeah. I held on to it. Um, and I was still in the early stages, yeah. you know, I was in the early stages of, um, of driving for dollars. You know, that's, that's the, um, what did you say earlier, Richard, when you get into this business, you got to start learning the verbiage and things like that, the, term- start, yeah. the terminology and start talking acclimated. like that. Yeah. Acclimated with it. I was just getting acclimated with it. <laughs> So I held on to the to the uh, to the profit, you know, um, and then I started to figure it. I had to figure out, and this is where me and Richard would have conversations. You know, what I, what do I do with it next? You know, and then Richard started. Um, so one thing that I, I didn't think about was taxes. I didn't think about taxes on that. You know, to pull the taxes out, um, save some money for marketing, mm-hmm. um, some money for um, giving. That's another huge thing is giving as well. You know, to be able to help someone else or like an organization or something like that. Um, so that's kind of, that's what I started doing um, with the money. I saved the money, um, and yeah, that's kind All of right, what so I was. second deal. What happened with your second deal? So second deal. Where what was the second deal, Richard? I'm trying to think. I feel we've got so, um, Lynn, so Angel participated before he got his own properties. Uh, with he would participate with me as a lender, a lending partner. On the transactions. All right, explain all that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so uh, Angel and I's relationship is unique. Most of the time, whenever I mentor somebody, I kind of teach them what to do and show them some things, steps to take. And when they find a deal, we'll work it together. Mm -hmm. I'll show you from A to Z on how how to either use this as a rehab, as a rental, as a wholesale deal, maybe an owner finance. Basically, how are we going to profit with this? Mm -hmm. Where Angel was unique is while he was learning, um, he actually had money to lend. He's like, hey, man, I want to put my money to work, you know? And you and you put your money to work for somebody else who might want to do something like this, and then you get a percentage, am I right? Like yeah. an interest? Yeah. yeah interest or mm-hmm. a percentage of the profit. Yeah. So he's like, hey, so I want to, while I'm learning, before I get my own deal that's in my own name, let me lend my money to you so that way I can see what you got going on. I'm still going to make money, but I'm also vested in the project, and I can kind of see what's going on. So the first few transactions that we did, he was actually lending, a lending partner on that, huh. where he would lend me X amount. The first transaction was roughly $45,000, $46,000. I can't remember. The second one was probably, what, forty or $50,000? I think so. It was another, yeah. At one point, I yeah. had a lot of it. He had a lot of money. And I was just, he had a lot of, he was getting a little bit nervous. You know, he was like, hey, there, I was yeah. like, hey, enjoy. everything is going to go good. 
Yeah. Um, we had the Wataga House. The Wataga House. The Wataga House. Actually, before we had, I'm going to call it the Lockheed House with the planes. Before we had that one, I remember you came and picked up a check for 22000 at 24-hour fitness. Remember that? That was the first uh, the yeah. first deal I lent out on. Right. That was mm. the first one. So by the time I was lending on the second one, I had the 22000 out, right? And this is someone who's never done anything like this, right? And yeah. I go from one day to having, you know, my money in the bank to another day meeting a guy in the parking lot. And, <laughs> hey, man, here's a check for 22 grand. And then a few, it was probably a month later, he goes, Hey, Angel, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 55. I'm pretty sure it was 55, but we'll call it 45. <laughs> then, but, and then a, a month later, hey, man, you want to partner up on another deal? You know, huh. 45,000. So now I'm up to what? $70,000 out. And I hadn't sent any marketing out, nothing. I didn't know anything. I was just so green. And, and that, that's seventy thousand you made off of twenty thousand, or it's, it's no, profit. this is just money that I was re- that I started off with. That was my money. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, that was no profit, nothing. That was just my pure cash that I had. And so that mindset. So we've talked about a lot. We've Takes kind of, a lot we, to let that check. We've go. taken a lot of different ra- uh, rabbit holes. Is what I call a lot of different routes. We've talked about a lot. So I'm, I'm going to try and break it down and tell me if this is about right. So first off, you have to have a mindset shift. Yes, mm-hmm. you want to be able to let your money work for you and not you work for your money, which is kind of the gist of the book, Oof. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Yes. Correct. Um, and that's like investing. Like uh, I just had a financial advisor on a couple of days ago. <clears throat> we got on to about uh, the market and financial advising and, and how a compound interest really affects you, how you can literally put $20 in the market for a high-risk account and for, for guys who are young like me. If I just put $20 a month for the rest of my life into this high-risk account, um, I could have like... It's like $2.8 million right. based on compound interest, $20 a month. That's because you're getting on the mutual fund I'm in right now. It's like 18% yes. a return on a $20. So again, year 10, you know, it's not, you're not making 18% on $20. You're making 18% of $20 times 10 years. Right. Um, so if that's the mindset of letting your money work for right. you, right. instead of you working for your money. Okay. So you first have to get that mindset first. Yes. And now after you have that mindset, there are kind of two groups of people who want to get into real estate investing. One uh, are the people who really don't have a lot of capital yes. to start. Correct. And then the second group, we'll call it group B, are the people who have a lot of capital, um, like you, Angel, who had, who had a, a good chunk of change. You said, I have $20,000. I want to invest this in real estate where I can become a lender or I can see the profits on my returns mm-hmm. in, from, a, from a house flip or something like yeah. that. Am I right? Yeah. So that's group B or group two. Walk with me through group one, group A, the people who don't have a lot of capital. You're saying wholesaling. Are there any other ways to get into this field to um, start buying and flipping houses without a whole lot of capital besides wholesaling? Yeah, so you can. So whenever you can, obviously wholesaling poses the less, least amount of risk. So if you're wholesaling, you don't have any money into this deal. Uh-huh. You're basically, you're simply just contracting and selling that contract to another investor. Okay. So there are other avenues in order to buy these properties, which are hard money lenders. Basically, hard money lenders provide the capital to be able to buy these houses. They lend a percentage of the, over, of the overall value. So let's go back to that same example. We were in that neighborhood. Angel's neighbor says, hey, Angel, I want to buy, I want to sell you the house for 110000 well, we've already established that the houses in the neighborhood are selling for 200000 A hard money lender, what he'll come in and say, uh, he lends 
money based on the market value, the 200 grand. So he'll come in here and most hard money lenders lend 70% of what the house is worth after you fix it up. Okay. All right. So break that down a little bit more. Yeah. So we've already established the houses are worth 200 grand, right? Mm -hmm. A hard money lender will lend 70% of that $200,000. If you're good with math, it's pretty simple. If you're not, you know, I get it. Everything's a struggle. So 70% of 200 grand is $140,000. So a hard money lender sees that property and says, hey, Angel, I'll give you $140,000 for you to buy this house and to fix it. Well, if you buy it for 110 and you need 30 to, if you need $30,000 to fix it, well, man, you're right in line. They'll give you just about 100% of what you need. So you as the investor, that margin is kind of key. You need yes, to absolutely. That. So everything. Absolutely. So you have a total amount of $140,000 that you can play with. Your goal is to get it below that Correct. so that you can spend the extra, the, the excess in fixing it up. Correct. Which will make the overall market value higher. Correct. So absolutely. You, so if it's worth 200 you buy or is that what you said? Yeah, if it's worth two hundred, somebody the hard money lend you lender will lend you one hundred and forty thousand. If you buy it for one hundred and ten, you have thirty thousand dollars to play with. Yes. And so the investor fixes it up and sells it for the two hundred thousand dollars minus closing costs. He probably walks around and walks away with the neighborhood of thirty to thirty five thousand okay. dollars. So I wouldn't say that requires no money out of pocket because you do have to service the debt. On that $140,000 loan, you will have interest-only payments. Of uh, The interest rate on hard money is anywhere between 10 to 13% interest right now. So if he lets you borrow, let's just take 10% because that's pretty simple. All right, I'm sorry, y'all's mic's good. Yeah. Yes. You're good? Y'all can good? hear good? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So on that $140,000 loan that the okay. hard money lender gives you, you, you'll probably have a monthly interest-only payment of about twelve fifty dollars to $1,300. And this is if you hold on to the house. Am I right? Well, this is every month because it's going to take you time to buy it, to fix it, and to sell it. Okay. So if it takes you 30 days, let's just make it simple. Let's say it takes you 30 days to fix it. So that's one month. You'll have a $1,300, $1,400 payment with the hard money lender. You have it on the MLS and you're, sell, you're actively trying to resell it using a real estate agent. And you find a buyer day one. But it takes 30 days to close. So it's another 30. That's, that's month two. There's another $1,300 to $1,400 payment. Does that make sense? So yeah. you'll need to have... Yeah. A little bit of money to service that debt, and what I've seen yeah. people do, what I've seen people do is use credit cards, or some people will use if they have a little line of credit. Some people have a few thousand dollars of cash saved up. But where hard money lenders really help is the fact that they are asset-based loans. What that means is that they are not going by your credit. They are not going by basically your financial position. They're they're structuring their deal based on the collateral, which is the house. Mm. They look at the house. You got to think about it. If this house is worth $200,000, the hard money lender says he'll give you $140,000. His worst case scenario is he has a $140,000 house that's worth two hundred grand. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And it's covered by insurance yeah. and he's got a first position lien on it. So they, sh- they lend you money based on the numbers, based on the asset, based on... Um, Not the, the person, deal. the deal. Correct, correct. Now... If somebody has zero dollars to their name, they probably will tell you, look, you don't have any money. Do you have somebody, some kind of partner that we can kind of have on here? That, that way we know you can cover the payments. Do you guys do hard money lending? We um, Not lending. But y'all, do, you, do y'all like, is there anybody that has come to you guys and said, hey, I, I want this house. Can you 
front me $70,000 and you take a cut. So Angel is kind of a, a private lender to me. So that's wh- okay. what I'm describing. That's kind of what he's doing with me. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. That's kind of what he's doing with me. But at this time, I do not lend uh, to anybody. A lot of the times these hard money lenders, that's all they do is lend. So they've got millions of dollars. We even yeah. talked about me potentially getting into that business, right, Richard? Yeah, you have. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so after you've say you you've the scenario you're talking about, the two hundred thousand, you get the hundred and forty thousand, you buy the house for hundred and ten thousand, you have thirty thousand dollars to play with. Um, what happens next? Well, do you keep the house? Do you rent the house? Well, what what was the decision making so, process for yeah. keeping renting? or owner financing. Right, so it's it's kind of depending on what your goals are. I mean, if somebody needs money, there's a good chance they're not gonna rent or owner finance. They need the money, they need cash, they need to get themselves to a position to where they can hold on to rentals or to hold on to properties and owner finance them. So if somebody needs the money, absolutely, they're gonna sell it. They're gonna sell it, they're gonna take their $35,000, $40,000 profit. You know, they're all in at 140, they're selling it for 200, you've got some closing costs and commissions in there, they'll walk away with 35 grand, good payday. Just yeah. do it again. Wash, rinse, wash, and repeat. And typically, you're, in your uh, opinion, that $35,000 that they've made, do you, you uh, suggest that you keep on to that or do you reinvest it into another deal? I So I'm a big proponent of holding on to your cash and using other people's money. Okay. okay? The, the reason why is because if you're using your own money for deals, you're very limited. You're very limited in how many deals you can do. You can and do one at a that's time. Not, that's not a mindset that I'm, I'm used to. Right. I mean, typically, everybody thinks you need that cash flow. You need that uh, capital. Um, hard money lenders, they think are too high risk that they're going to just, like, if, if that hard money lending deal does not work out, then you're going to, your house is going to get taken, your assets are going to get taken. Um, have you ever run into any situations like that? No, no. So the hard money, if you got a good hard money lender, um, if they tell you no, then you don't have a deal. Well, I tell people, if you have a great deal, the money's there. They'll throw money at you to lend on a good deal because their their money is safe. It's secured by real estate. It's one of the safest assets you can have. Again, take this example even with the stocks. If Apple is selling for $800 a share, you can't buy it at $400. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can't. you got to wait till the market goes down you know, and take advantage of the, of the corrections. Well, real estate, you could have a, a $200,000 house and buy it with built-in equity, $110,000. So very unique. So the hard money lenders are, if you have a deal, they are throwing money at you. They're saying, yes, use me. you know. And if they tell you no, that's because your numbers are wrong. So you could be saying, hey, hard money lender, this house is worth 200 grand. I got it for 110. He goes and looks at the deal. He doesn't trust your word. He does his own research. They, they are where they are because they know what they're doing. He'll look at the deal. And if you're absolutely right, the money is yours. Mm-hmm. He may come here and say, hey, Angel, I know you told me this house is worth 200 grand. But man, I see four houses that sold between 150 to 155 in the last 30 days, and you're buying it at 110. I'm sorry, I can't lend you the money. Hmm. So if they tell you no, um, then that's probably one of the greatest things that you can hear is no, because they're saving you from a deal. Remember, their job is to protect themselves first, not you. And if they tell you no, that means you don't have a deal. Hmm. So I haven't even, I've never really ran into any hard times. I've had some hard money lenders that were reluctant to lend, not necessarily because of the deal, but maybe because of the location of the house. Maybe it was too far out. Um, maybe they're used to lending in Tarrant County and this one was in Dallas or this one was in another area, but not because usually my deals are pretty good. So I don't so really run into any issues. What do you do after the Hardman lender? You say he gives you that $140,000. Um, do you then just buy a house like you would any other deal? No, 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 no. So 
um, if he agrees to lend you, it, it's it's a it's a house by house that they structure the loan deal by deal. So you have to have a deal under contract. So Angel has to actually sign the contract for $110,000 with the neighbor. And he takes that contract to the lender. Here's the deal that I have. Will you lend? So they don't just give you $140,000 and you go find a house that's worth $200,000. No, you bring them the deal that you have and they will let you know what they're willing to lend on that. So, that imagine, yeah, so imagine there's a house actually down the street here. I think it's on the market for like $80,000 or $90,000 right. right now. So I go there. I say, hey, I want to buy this house. I get into a contract with them during the option period, you know, right. do the, just like I would any other house. Correct. And then I go to the lender and say, hey, this is what I have. This is what I think I can sell for. Market right now is around $150,000. Sure. And then, then he'll lend me the money if he feels like it's a good fit. If he feels like it's a good deal. A lot of the hard money lenders, um, they're either, some of them have, they have appraisers that work for them. A lot of them are real estate brokers. They have access to the market. I know the hard money lenders that I use, they have 30 to 40 years of experience. Mm. So a, a, a novice individual will not really pull one over them. They know what they're doing. So what happens if I get in the contract and then he says no? Do I just back out of the yeah, contract? Yeah, just back out of the contract and just find another deal. The name on that line is what people are scared of. It's like I get I get a little yeah. antsy when I think about putting my name on another house that I can't afford. Right. So how do you get past that? Yeah, so that's that's why I like the, um, the wholesaling route because there's no commitment. So you allow yourself to grow into that mindset versus just um, getting in there just blank. Because by the time I had wholesaled, I think I probably wholesaled roughly almost a year before I did my first rehab. And by the time I was a year into it, I already knew when I had a good deal. Uh, my worst case, a lot of people say, well, my worst case scenario, I got to break even. My worst case scenario, I'll tell you this all the time, is I'm making money. I don't believe in breaking even. You know, I believe my worst case scenario, if my numbers are wrong, I'm still making money. That's how good of a deal you, that I'm going to get. And you've gotten to that mindset based on failing a lot. Am I right? Um, I wouldn't say failing. Like at lot. the beginning? No. There was oh, not really much, much failure. Like, huh. Um, I mean, so real estate, if you fail one time, you're out of the business. Yeah. Does that make sense? So like if you rehab a house and, and you buy it wrong and you lose twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, I don't see somebody recovering who doesn't have any money. Does that make sense? Mm. So I had in the beginning, I was just simply collecting those little assignment fees, $2,000, 5000 10000 20000 But what it taught me is how to identify good properties. Because remember, I am selling those to a, another investor. If the investor doesn't think it's a good deal, guess what? He's not buying it. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? And if I'm providing good enough deals to these other investors, that means they're good enough for me because they are, because remember, these investors are buying my deals and they're fixing them up and they're selling them and they're making money. Does that make sense? Mm. So if I'm able to find these good deals for them, I can find them for myself. So when I got into rehab and I didn't really have a a fear per se of, is this deal good enough? I was a little bit nervous at times about the construction costs because I had to learn that. I had to learn what things cost, what remodels cost, what had to get used to the foundation, but never really, I didn't buy a good enough deal. Does that make, if that makes so any really sense. the the initial failure or success of a deal is from the initial without ever having to put your name on the line, um, it's by looking at it and you get to know that information as you more as you get more into the market. Am I right? Correct. The, the saying in real estate goes like this: You make your money in real estate when you buy, and you just collect it when you sell. So if you don't buy a deal, if you don't buy a house at a good deal, then you're not going to make any money. You make your money when you buy. You make your money when that two hundred thousand dollar house you get it for a hundred grand. When you get it for a hundred and ten grand, it is very hard to not make money when you buy a house fifty cents on the dollar. 
Does that make sense? Now, if you're buying that two hundred thousand dollar house for one hundred and eighty, you know, uh, yeah, you may you, you're going to lose. You know, I, I'm just, it's just kind of way the business you don't is. Have, you don't. There's no margin for error. There's no margin for error. Yeah, absolutely. So I bought in the beginning when I was rehabbing. I had such margins that when I was, it would compensate for my lack of skills in uh, being able to evaluate or determine the cost of a rehab project. So how do you get to where you know what margins are good? Yeah, so I, I learned that by the, the, some of the classes that I was taking. Basically, they teach you um, the theory is about 70% minus repairs. So you buy a house, 70% of value, and then you subtract the repairs. So let's go back to the $200,000 house. 70% is 140 grand. So you take that 140 and you subtract the cost of the repairs. If the if the repairs are 30 grand, they want you to buy it at 110. That's a safe bet. If the repairs are, let's just say, 50 grand, then they want you to buy it at 90 grand. And knowing what the repairs are, how do you know that? Yeah. So in the beginning, that you really have to have a good you have to have contractors that are willing to go out there and help you estimate this stuff. Mm. You don't really want to do it on your own. Once you've done it enough times, then you can kind of have a good ballpark of what these costs but in the beginning i would highly recommend having a few contractors go out there and uh, write up some bids and just see what they see what they come back at angel is that what you've been doing too well <clears throat> well i got richard <laughs> <laughs> i keep going back to yeah. it i just i know how to uh know how to well. pick the right people yeah. and and richard takes and sometimes I think it's a good thing. I wouldn't say it's a bad thing because he takes a lot of the thinking out of it for me. Mm-hmm. Really, I'm like, man, man it's so huge. Yeah, it is. The whole mentorship, that's massive. Oh, my gosh. Right. It's, and there's no real degree program for this. Yeah. So if, if, if it is kind of a word of mouth, who you yeah. know, networking type of industry, and it's it could be such a profitable industry, like why do you think there isn't any type of degree plan for this? Well, so – and this, well, let me just back up for a second. So with angels, I, I kind of shortcut. It's one of the values of my mentor is being able to shortcut the process. So whenever I tell Angel to look at houses, I said, Angel, look, if on the cosmetic side, take about $15 a square foot. So if the house is a thousand square feet, let's just say it's a smaller house. Well, you know, cosmetically, if it just needs cosmetics, you're looking at about $15,000, $15 a square foot times a thousand, about 15,000. And then add your majors and on top of that or, or repairs, repairs, right? Okay. So just, these are just ballpark. These are ballpark. So Angel, if you're walking into this house and you're trying to evaluate a, a repair, take $15 a square foot in repairs for cosmetics, multiply it by the square footage. If it's a thousand square feet for just to keep the math simple, there's $15,000 in cosmetic updates, paint, flooring, maybe some new stainless appliances, new light fixtures. Mm-hmm. And then I would tell Angel, add your majors repairs on top of that. So if you know who needs a new roof, on top of that $15,000, add five grand uh, for the roof, okay. add 1200 for the water heater, add six grand for the central heat and air unit. Mm-hmm. If it needs foundation, add X amount for foundation. So when you walk into a room or walk into a house, do you kind of like make a list of all the things that are kind of off on it? Um, I, I tell Angel look at the majors the cosmetics are pretty easy Okay, so, so you can almost imagine what, like what you're saying the initial baseline cost for just like you said repairing a paint job is like $15,000 for a thousand square foot house 15 correct. per square foot correct um, and then you add on these all these extras right if okay. it needs windows if it needs roof if it needs foundation if it needs electrical if it needs plumbing so but I got that from experience I would go through my my um, spreadsheets about my rehab budgets and I would literally add up all the cosmetics and I would divide it by the square foot. Oh, well, and the average. And I average. So I had okay. some projects that were $11 a square foot, some that were 17 per square foot. 
So I just take a roundabout figure, you know, at about $15, $16 a square foot. Now I walk in a house, cause, okay, this is $1,500. $1,500 times, you know, $15 a square foot is, is X. Hmm. Um, eight, eight, I don't even know the math. <laughs> just $20,000, somewhere around $20,000. And then I just start adding the majors on top of that. So it, it's not a huh. random number. These are numbers that I use on my spreadsheets and I pull the data. And they've been proven. And they've been proven, correct. Now, am I, now if I come in here and say, hey, this is 40 grand, is there a chance it could be 38 or 42? Yeah, there's a real chance, but these are just on the fly. These are looking at a house. I need to make an offer. What is the repair? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I know a huge factor in choosing what houses to repair or to invest in or not is area. Correct. So what are the some of the things that you guys look at uh, when it comes to area? Um, you know, is it a rundown neighborhood? Do you guys look at uh, waterways, things that could cost it, make it a huge uh, detriment to your financial uh, profit later on? Like what are some of the things outside factors? Yeah. So I'll tell you this. Um, I, I really invest in areas that I know. So most of my properties that I've done over the years are in Tarrant County. I know Fort Worth really well. I've been here my whole life. I know a lot of the hot spots. Um, I know some invest. If you're outside an outside investor, um, I can see why some of these things would really be important. But I kind of outside, to, outside investor meaning you don't live in the area, right? Okay. If you don't really know this stuff, you know, okay. if you don't really know Fort Worth, if you don't know Tarrant County, yeah. then yeah, you may you may be a little bit reluctant. But you know, whenever where we invest, we're investing in neighborhoods these single family houses and neighborhoods. So we really don't have a one-off house that runs into these potential. These are in the middle of subdivisions that are established neighborhoods. You know, they may be yeah. older, 50, 60, 70 years old, um, but you don't really have these really weird properties. So they're pretty cut and dry. Um, that you, being the case, like I, I don't, we don't really run into that very often. Do you guys look at uh, third party websites that project percentage incomes or percentage profits of like a, a neighborhood market like for instance cleburne there's a lot of uh, uh real estate markets right now projecting our area to increase by like 25 percent within the next five ten years no so i think uh, what you're asking if you're looking on the rehab side i would probably tell you not because you're going to turn this within 90 days tell me not what uh, i wouldn't look at that data like that oh. personally so if okay. i'm if i bought a house in cleburne and my goal is to rehab it and to resell it. I'm not looking at projections for five or ten years. For five to ten years, correct. Gotcha. Um, if I'm looking at rentals, I think that's probably on a bigger scale. If I'm looking okay. at an individual rental, I better cash flow today. I got a okay. cash flow today. Any kind of appreciation that's going to happen over five or ten years, any kind of development is going to be a bonus on top of the deal I'm able to structure today, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. And you guys don't do a whole lot in this area, am I right? It's mainly no. Tarrant County. Correct. Because mm -hmm. even I'm looking at, like I said, I, I, my mindset is what type of deals could I possibly deal, look at with this? I'm, you know, I, I drive down the street here. I've already told you about a couple of houses. Right. I look at what the market, what the actual value is. And it's really weird. This whole neighborhood around here is like, you'll have one house. It's like $70,000, $80,000 rundown, really rundown. And then literally like right across the street, there is a house for $230,000. Yes. So it was a very dynamic, it's not really standardized, it's very different. How do you guys kind of look at those these type of neighborhoods and pick your deals? Because we know that houses are a lot higher in some areas, like within like one house and then three doors down, it could be 80,000. And that's the principle of, was it, uh, it's not appreciation, but... Uh, you know what I'm talking about in real estate principle and us. I lost it. I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> I, think, I know what you mean. So that's that's when it 
when you got to have a really good uh, progression and regression. Okay. I will tell you this. If you're looking in your same street within a few blocks and you have houses that are selling for over 200 and you see other houses that are selling for 70 or 80, I think there's an opportunity there. And that's what I'm there's looking at. There's a huge opportunity yeah. there. Um, what it would take is probably a good real estate agent on your team or you carry your license as well. Yeah. You're already looking at the comps. If you're able to find more than one house, let's say you find the last three months, three houses that are sold north of 200 grand, 205, 210, 220, something like that, maybe four, then I would tell you, you can get this house that's 70 grand in a condition to where it would sell for 220, but you can't shortcut that. You're going to have to put, I'm pretty sure some of these houses that are selling north of 200,000 have, they look pretty good. I would imagine well, so. And a lot of them have land. So like two doors, three doors down, I think it's there's that one sold recently for like 230,000, 220,000. Right. Um, but it's also got an acre and a half on it. Mm. And the one that's about 15 doors down is selling for around 90. And that it's not, I mean, it's got a nice backyard, but it's not two acres. Yeah, then there there is a value to land like that. Um, I If it doesn't have, I wouldn't compare a house with a, that has a two, two acres plus. With yeah. a house that's a standard size lot, yeah, I would take my comparables off of houses that are have standard size lots. Yeah, maybe those are one fifty. I would run off of one fifty before I ran off the one twenty and two twenty five. And you would still consider that a deal. So a standardized lot that's running for one fifty versus ten or ten doors down standardized lot that's running for ninety is that a good deal? It depends how much work it needs. So if the house, I mean, the, the, it's run down. Yeah, the, if the house is really down. run down, I would follow the formula: one fifty times seventy percent. That's one hundred and five thousand. If the house needs fifty grand in work, then you got to buy that house for fifty five grand. Hmm. You know, so eighty grand would Maybe not, so 80, 80 grand would not be a good deal. That's such a great standardized. Yes, okay, it is. So the theory of it is that's the number: is the seventy percent minus repair. It's with the market the way that it is, especially in Fort Worth and Tarrant County and DFW Metroplex. It is getting a lot harder to find those deals. I'm sending people, people are buying houses 80% minus repairs. I'm not comfortable with that, mm. but because of the, how difficult it is to get it to find that. Um, Why is that? Because the, the market or the uh, inventory isn't a whole lot right now? Correct. It's a huge yeah, a seller's of, market right correct. now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's getting a little bit harder to find those deals. They're out there, but it is getting a little bit more difficult to find that. So um, in your situation with this house down the street, I would absolutely use that formula or something close to it and just... You, you, you would, what determines if it's a deal is the number or how much it's going to cost to bring that up to market value. Okay. Um, moving forward, looking at the future, you guys are really looking at possible foreclosure. You're telling me about this, Angel, um, come January and February. Um, explain that. Why is that an opportunity for real estate investors like you guys? Um, <clears throat> well, so... It's actually, you know, it's it's an unfortunate situation, you know, for everything that's going on right now. But um, and everything going on, meaning COVID. COVID, yeah, you know, people losing their their jobs and things like that. Um, but you know, come January, um, like you said, whenever there is it the relief bill, what, what was it called again? Where there was is it the PPP? I think bill. <sighs> I, I forget what it's called to be honest. Right. I need somebody like Jamie to fact check with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So like Richard was saying earlier, you know, um, as long as you're sending out your letters, um, you're doing your um, you're putting in your time, you know, to market for these deals. Um, it is a huge opportunity because, you know, we are able to stop a foreclosure um, from happening. We can help out a family 
um, and we can also um, benefit from that as well. Okay, so uh, so practically, what does that mean? You know, when when people are going to foreclose, like, how did you get to this mindset of you know, come January, February, people are going to be foreclosing because of what's happened with COVID? Explain that thought train. Well, that too, and there's actually articles out there. There's actually articles out there, and I think Richard has sent it to me, and it, and it shows that foreclosures are up in October of this year, 21%, correct? Is that the article? From what they're normally. So there yeah. are people, when this whole thing happened, a lot of banks were doing forbearances. They were basically, Explain what that is. A forbearance is basically, let's say your monthly payment is $1,200. The bank, the bank says, you know what? Uh, we're going to forbear. You don't have to make this payment, this $1,200 payment for six months. Okay, with everything going on, you have six months. Well, what people didn't realize is that in, in six months, the $1,200 you pay every month is due. So that's $1,200 times six. That's $7,200 that if you don't have $1,200 to begin with, you're probably not going to have the $7,200. Okay. So what it did, what people are thinking is that it just pushed the what was going to happen anyway down the road. Now, are mm-hmm. most of these forbearance or are they, are they also like wraparound clauses where they tack it at the end of the loan? Yeah. So there are both. It's from bank to bank. Some okay. of them will tack it on at the end of the loan. Um, so it also, that does depend on who your bank is, but there are some banks that won't do that. There are some banks that all, that are only honoring the, uh, forbearance. Hmm. So so they are calling, they are wanting, they are expecting the full payment due. And legally, legally they can, with all this, they say the renters don't have to pay or the mortgage mortgages don't have to pay for this amount of time, but it's going to be almost like a balloon payment Mm -hmm. at the end of six months. And that's what people are projecting to be a huge foreclosure market come beginning of 2021. And and right now there is a moratorium. I can't forgive me if I didn't pronounce it right. So right now there is no, there is no evictions. They can't do foreclosures right now. And that's what moratorium means. Correct. So they put that. So right now I have rental properties. Uh, Thankfully that nobody's behind on payments right now, but even if they were, I couldn't evict them until the beginning of January. So come January, the court, when this moratorium is lifted, um, you're going to see a lot of activity at the banks. I'm sorry, you're gonna, at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just homeowners, it's landlords. So these, these landlords, mostly mom and pops who only have one or two rental properties that are uh, paying mortgages, they may have a mortgage mm-hmm. on that property for 800 and they're renting it out for 1200 Well, Joe, the tenant, hasn't paid rent in four months and there's nothing you can do about it. And... Joe, the I mean, the landlord can only take that. A small landlord can only yeah. take that for a few months. Mm-hmm. So there's a possibility that um, they will be foreclosed on as well. Um, I know my lender told me that. Okay, just kind of a, make sure I say it right. That self-employed, non-homestead real estate owners are the biggest for, are the biggest issues right now. So basically, if you're self-employed and this isn't your homestead, that's where they're seeing the most. And explain most, what a homestead is. Where it's your primary residence. Yeah. yeah. So those are the ones that are experiencing the greatest amount of default is if you're self-employed and if on the houses that are hmm. not considered their homestead. Hmm. Basically so, rental properties. So those guys are going to be the ones that are going to be pretty hit hard beginning of 2021. So what you guys are looking at as real estate investors are uh, opportunity to not really like you, you don't really want to, you know, uh, kick people when they're down, but you're really That's trying right. to give them an opportunity. Hey, this is a terrible situation, but we have the capital right now to yes. pay you a whole lot more money um, than you'd probably get in a foreclosure settlement where the foreclosure settlement, your credit history smacked for a long time yep. um, and it really hurts your financial overall well-being. Am I right? Yes. Correct. They would walk If they get foreclosed, they would walk away with nothing. 
and they would walk away with a ding on their credit that would last a few years. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, we, we broke down the two groups. People with a lot of capital, people with very little capital. Um, the people with a lot of capital, is pretty. it's a lot easier to get into this field if you have kind of a lump sum payment than it is for somebody who doesn't. Am I right? Yeah. And the people I do run across people, I do know investors as well with a lot of money and they do buy it cash. They use their own money and their own yeah. resources. Typically, they're they're more hands off. They don't need to be in the grind or in the business. Just They just look for good deals. They hire contractors and they... They, they have the resources. They don't need to be as involved as somebody who's just getting started. Okay. Now, as, as we kind of wrap this up, um, what are some things that, you know, you would like to tell people about this business, about what you guys do uh, moving forward? Yeah. So that we haven't covered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think real estate is one of the greatest opportunities that are that are out there. It is an opportunity, as I said earlier in the uh, on the podcast, is the, uh, the fact that you can buy an asset at a discount and there's not a lot of assets that are out there that you can do that um, there's so many exit strategies you can you can wholesale it you can rehab it you can use it as a rental you can use it as an owner finance um, I don't remember the last time I've seen a bank lend somebody money to buy stocks mm. but I've seen plenty of banks that will lend, you to, lend you to buy real estate why is that mm. right? because they know it's a secure asset you know they know they're covered by insurance they know wow. that they have a first lien position they know that um, that people always need somewhere to live. So there's just so many ways to, to make the money. Um, I would also tell people that, um, yeah, it is great what you see on TV. And there is, there's a lot of work that goes into that. There's a lot of time and effort and, and knowledge and education that's involved in getting yourself to there. But it is a great opportunity. And I, I tell people this, there's no rush. There's no mm -hmm. rush. You know, if, if you want to get started, learn about it, get acclimated to it. Um, see if it's something that's for you, if it suits your temperament, your personality. Some people are adverse to risk. This probably not the field for them. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you also see people who want to buy 100 houses their first year. Start with one. Mm. There's no pressure. Keep your job. There's no pressure to leave your job after day one, month one, year one. You know, start off with one property a year. Next year, go to two, uh, and so on. So, um, Man, I huge. would put that. I would put that information out there. Yes, absolutely. What are you, Angel? Well, everything that Richard said, you know, um, just to kind of piggyback off that, you know, I'm, what Richard is is telling you guys, you know, as um, as um, I would say, you know, newer investors like myself, exactly what Richard said, you know, keep your job, take it slow, um, take it slow, you know, at your own pace, um, learn the business. I obviously have a lot to learn, you know, listening to Richard talk. I mean, this is why this is one of the one of two or three people a week that I talk to, you know, hours, you know, throughout the week. I don't really know. I don't even know how many hours we talk, but I just listen to Richard most of the time because he has so much knowledge. Yeah. Listen to you guys is freaking awesome. Yeah. Just, oh, I love it. I know. And just, you know, with, with, uh, with Richard, I ask him a simple question and he'll just go into detail and kind of break it down for me. Angel, whatever the question is. Um, another thing is his advice. Hey, Angel, slow down, take your time. Cause obviously <laughs> Like Richard said, you know, I got into this business. I wanted a hundred houses yeah. right out the gate. Yeah. And I and I come to find, well, it's it's kind of hard to find one house. You know, that that's the the number one thing that when people come to me, because obviously, you know, people know that I'm getting into, you know, investing. Um, obviously they don't know, I don't really go into detail with them all the time where I'm at in my career. Um, but that's one of the things that they ask me, how can I get started? I don't have you went going back to what you said earlier. 
but I don't have a ton of money, Angel. I'm not really sure what to do. Well, there is something you can do. And it's what Richard always tells me. Just bring me a deal. Mm. Find a deal. Learn how to market for deals. Get some, get a deal under contract. If you need any help, call me. Mm. Obviously, um, Richard, you know, I'll, I'll Richard is always, uh, he has my best interest in mind, you know, things like that. Um, so that is one thing that I would that I would say, you know, going back to Richard, just take your time, um, learn, constantly work on yourself, constantly listen to podcasts, bigger, you know, bigger pockets, bigger pockets, was, podcasts. Richard. Yeah, you, you turned me on that one. That was really yeah, cool. that one as well. I mean, and what I like about bigger pockets is they're here local. They're they're local here oh, in the really? DFW. Yeah, I didn't know that. so the the numbers you're talking, if you're from the area in the Metroplex, they're talking about the numbers mm-hmm. that are happening right now in real time. Oh wow, you know so. That's one thing. Work on yourself. Um, do your homework. Um, take your time. Like Richard said, there's no rush. Although it feels like it for someone in Richard's position, don't. It, there's no rush because Richard is, in my eyes, he's there. Yeah. I'm trying to get there, so I'm trying to rush and I get. And again, it, it's not. Time. It's not like trying to gain wealth. It's a mindset. Yes. You know. Yes. You can chase money all your life. Yep. That's why it's people who have millions and billions of dollars. They're kind of like, well, like, what else do I do now? Because they've <laughs> yeah. been chasing money, and then when they find the make, like, okay, well. Crap, you know, yeah, and it's also one of the reasons why um, we got into this is really just for lifestyle. Um, we yeah. didn't really get much into it, but uh, my daughters they run cross country, they play volleyball, uh, they play soccer. So I'm I'm the dad. Me and my wife we're at every game. We take them Man, to practice. So awesome. We're all so I I created a business that suits what I wanted. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so you you really got to. There may be a a single guy or not married or anything who wants to spend most of his days doing that. And that's absolutely okay. There's another individual that values family and wants to be able to be there to be at all the kids games. And that's okay as well. So, and that's what I was actually looking at because I missed holidays. I missed so many family events, you know, work at EMS that I, I, I was missing out on memories and I got super frustrated. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. My last Thanksgiving was my first Thanksgiving that I got to spend with my family. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also important, just knowing what it is that you're looking for. And there's mm-hmm. no there's no tangible value to that. Does that make sense? That's intangible. I love the fact that our girls will – I don't know if there's ever been a game that we've missed. And there's yeah. a dad and a mom who are going to be in, heavily involved in their lives, their entire life. So, that's same amazing. Here, me and Richard are in the same boat, you know, as far as that aspect of it. That's awesome. Um, same thing, you know. I, I'm at every game. You know, like I said, exactly like Richard – um, my, my wife is able to be a stay at home wife, pick up the kids from school. Um, I'm able to give my kids the life my dad gave me, you know, cause my mom was a stay at home mother as well. So that, that was awesome coming home. You know, mom, she would have uh, lunch ready or snack after school, help with homework, whatever the case is, take me to baseball practice, yeah. you know, and I wanted that life for my kids. It's like the work optional lifestyle. Yes, exactly. You know, work especially optional. Yeah. Especially in, you know, this, uh, you know, in these times, it's, it's, it's not normal times, you know, and I feel we've gotten away from, um, I don't even know what to call it. They're just, just old fashioned, you know, right. just kind of just super simple. Hey, you know, pick up the kids from school. Dad goes to work, provides for the family and we spend time together. Have you looked into like the minimalist lifestyle? Have you heard about that? I have. I've yeah. seen it. It's so attractive. My, my, it was so funny. I watched the video. We, we started 
throwing stuff. I started throwing stuff away out of my closet, <laughs> out of our DVD rack. And my wife's like, you got all this stuff lay, laying here yeah. now, you know, so. Well, that's kind of funny when you moved from our apartment to, to this house, like we still haven't been able to quote unquote fill the rooms right. with furniture because we didn't have enough. Like right. we've, we've lived our entire marriage, like, a very minimal lifestyle. Right. And there's a part of me that wants to be able to like, have that furniture for those for those how for yeah. those rooms but at the same time i'm like man like, i don't i don't want clutter yes. i don't want to just fill a room because yes. we have nothing else to do right and i don't have i'm getting on that track anyways <laughs> um going back to as we wrap up somebody who's in my shoes right they hear this podcast they see you guys they want to get to where you guys are practically what is step one who do they call um what website do they get practically very like i'm going to get in this what do i do so if they're if they are looking, I would tell them I would direct them to resources that are so there are real estate investment clubs, um, and they meet every week. I told Angel, I told Angel this. I could go to a real estate club, which is basically um, groups that meet together that teach on real estate investing. One week they may talk about finding money. The next week they may talk about how to evaluate a deal. The next week they may talk about marketing. The next week they may talk about rehabs, rentals. The next week they may talk about how to evaluate uh, construction costs. They are, they are classes that are hold every week on meetup.com or Facebook groups. I told Angel, I can go to three to four every week if I wanted to. And that's what I did at the beginning is I, I got around. The, again, it's about acclimating yourself. So before you do anything, you got to acclimate yourself. You got to figure out this is for you. So somebody who's in your position, who's done absolutely nothing, just get exposed. Just get exposed to this environment. Here, you may, you may go and just like I went to that class and you get the spark. And you and it just bridges that gap for you, and you're like, I can do this. Or you may go and just say, you know what, this is a little bit more than what I'm comfortable with today. Maybe I'll revisit it in six months, or a year, or in two years. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't. I, you may realize I don't have enough time for this. You know, I've got a where I am in my stage of life, where I am in my career. I travel, you know, out of town two or three days out of the week. I don't have time to find these deals or anything. So, I, I would tell people to begin there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have access to, if you don't have, and most of these classes are either free because they're sponsored by roofing companies, foundation companies, contractors, hard money lenders, people who want to help you. Okay. Or they're 15, 20 bucks. And again, you can find these. There's tons of contents online. There's podcasts. There's YouTube videos. If they're in the Fort Worth Metroplex, then they could uh, reach out to Angel or myself. I don't, t- I don't have a website. This is a business that I do on my own, but you can, Look up Richard Gonzalez on Facebook. Yeah, I'm gonna put your uh, y'all's links. Perfect. Do you have a link or anything like that? Where I can put on the on the description. Go my Facebook page. Facebook? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be great. Real good uh, networking opportunity too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So that's what I would advise to somebody who's beginning before they buy a deal. Let's just see if this is a, the business for you. Mm. So there are some basic terminology, some basic concepts that somebody has to understand before they even kind of get going. In and it. is that a good way to find like hard money lender? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my first hard money lender, I went to the real estate investment group. The guy came up. Here's our sponsor today. Here's, I'll give his, if it's okay, I'll give his name. It's, here's Terry Weekly with Emerald Dolphin Enterprises. I got my first deal as a rehab. Hey, Terry, I met you at the uh, real estate investment group. Oh, yeah, Richard, I remember you. Hmm. Uh, you said that if I had a deal that you would lend on it, here's the deal that I have. Okay, great. I'd be happy to lend on it. And today, these years, he's probably lent close to 30 deals for me. And I met him at a, at a real estate investment club. My flooring company, Ideal Floors, um, they were one of the sponsors at the investment club. Hey, guys, we have investor pricing for your uh, flooring. If you need flooring, give me a call. Hey, Tony, I met you at the investment club. I need a flooring quote on there. 
Sure. He goes out there. He was the best price. Six, seven years later, he does all my rental properties, all my rehab projects. Probably done 40 to 50 deals for me. It's a lot of networking. Yes. And that's awesome. Absolutely. So great places to get resources, education, vendors, contractors, hard money lenders, wholesalers. So if you don't have time to market yourself and you want to find a wholesaler, just a middleman to bring you the deals, mm-hmm. um, wholesalers there. So there are tons of resources for there. And they are everywhere from Cleburne to Fort Worth to Dallas, Arlington. Anywhere in the Metroplex. Man. Well, guys, this was amazing. I love this podcast. Um, I've already learned so much. And I, this is what I want to get into. Like, I want to get into that work optional lifestyle. Right. You know, where it's not a huge deal if, you know, we don't get paid a week. Well, I've got, you know, this much money. Or I can go, you know, buy a company and start doing the things I actually want to do. Right. Buy people's yeah. houses. You actually do yeah. some good things. Yes. So, yeah. so, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you for so having much. us. We had a good time. Bye, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Bye.